Hi, this is Donna Otto, and we are Modern Homemakers. Someone said the other day, what does it take to be a modern homemaker? Oh, the list is very long. But we consider ourselves modern in that we are living in the 21st century and doing the things that we feel God has called us to do as women, women of faith, as wives, wives of faith, as mothers, mothers of faith, and as homemakers, as we use our home to invite others and feel, uh, allow them to feel welcomed. Well, these are very um, important days in the calendar of the life of someone who follows Christ, and increasingly they have become important to me. And if you have been listening to Modern Homemakers at all, you know at this season of the year, I keep talking about this week of preparation, this week of weeks, and keep offering to you the tools that we've made available on our website, the week of weeks, which are Bible readings, the last week ending with the crucifixion, and they are done in a systematic way uh, through the Gospels for the first, second, third, fourth, fifth days, all the way to the sixth day, which is the day before Easter. And then we want to offer the basket, the Easter basket, which I put together some years ago. I want to think, I almost think I could say decades ago now, and it has been such a profitable tool, and that is also listed on our website. And if you haven't heard me speak of it a couple of shows ago, I spoke about the Easter basket. Today I want to start a small series that includes the seven last words. They say last words. I always like to say last statements of Christ. And he spoke them um, from the cross. And today we're going to look at an introduction to these statements. And then we'll look at the first statement, which is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Well, what I like about this time in the season of our life with Christ is that there's this picture of Jesus who keeps walking. Jesus keeps walking. Do you ever feel that way? Like, You've heard someone say, you just put one foot in front of the other. You just keep walking. My husband and I are hikers. We have done serious backpack trips, 65 miles in five days, sleeping in our sleeping bags out in the wilderness. We have done the Grand Canyon and the side canyons and the box canyons, and we've climbed mountains in many states of our country and in many countries. So we know what that one foot looks like. And we can remember taking our daughter, who was at the about the age of nine years old, and she she said, I quit. And there was no quitting. Like, there's no picking her up and carrying her. There's no quitting. And we always played guessing games as we walked to get her mind off the walking. And her dad said, we just have to keep walking. And she just looked at him like, you may keep walking, but I can't keep walking. And so dad said, well, let's, let's have another guessing game. And that just persuaded her. And then she would start with, you could get three clues the way we played the game. 
So he had it. He offered the first clue. And the minute he offered the first clue, she said, clue, 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 clue. So we always talk about that hike as the clue, 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 clue trip, because all the way out of the canyon, she was begging for another clue for another um, guessing game. And Jesus shows us what it looks like to keep walking. He keeps walking. He goes to Jerusalem for the Passover. He walks 88 miles from Nazareth in four days' time, and that's a pretty good clip from Nazareth to Jerusalem. He has faced so much already, discredit, condemnation, confrontation, dismissal from towns and groups. He's been called a liar and a blasphemer, but Jesus keeps walking, and he is walking to the cross. He understands what he's walking. He walked into the desert for 40 days. He walked out with a certainty he didn't have before. He's walking toward Jerusalem's entrance, a Passover meal like none ever before. His arrest, interrogation, suffering, and death. Josephus, the great historian, wrote 50 years after the resurrection that Jerusalem with 250,000 citizens, and I still find that number like a staggering amount of people in the desert, and if you've ever had the privilege, as I have had a couple of times to be in the Holy Land, you look around and you think, where could possibly 250,000 people live? But during the Passover, that that number would probably swell to somewhere between 2.5 or 3 million people. So when we see Jesus walking, you know, we often have these photographs of him on a desert with all the spaces and places, and it is a very crowded space and place. In the old Jerusalem center of town, the walkways are narrow and they're, they're noisy and there are a lot of stands. So he is walking through all of this and it begins primarily on Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week. Jesus was not the center of attention, and um, he certainly was not the few in his party. The scripture tells us that he came over the hill, and they began to wave palms and threw their garments on the ground. And uh, Corey Tin Boom always said, do you think that donkey thought it was about him? And I thought so many times, that ride was not about the donkey. It was about Christ and his sacrifice. Mark tells us they were on a road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who followed were afraid. He took the twelve aside again and began to tell them what was to happen to him. He, remember, is God and has insight into what is to follow. Did God ever speak to you about something that was coming, that he was preparing you? But remember, he is still human. He is in bodily form just as you are, just as I am, and he just keeps walking. He did not give up. He did not despair. I've been asked many times during this pandemic, what is the single most important ingredient you think that our country, that our homes uh, is lacking? And I finally have come to this bottom line. You've heard me say this. I think we're lacking endurance. And Paul talks about endurance in the book of Hebrews, and he says the fruit of endurance is the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And Christ is showing us what that endurance looks like. 
Now the man Jesus, who avoided the limelight and did not want to be known as a healer, here he finds in the attention of all those around him. They're waving palms, they're throwing their clothes down, they're stopping him, and Jesus keeps walking. He keeps one step in front of the other. Now he sends them to prepare a feast and hire a room and arrange a meal. With the crowds and the long lines, like you can never imagine, it's, it's like Christmas Eve in America. That's how it looked. Preparing for a feast was not just a simple thing. It was not a quiet little space. It was where's a room. And, but it had all been prepared, and Jesus knows what will happen. And then there's the betrayal, the Sanhedrin, the unjust soldiers, the scourging, the execution, which he knows is to come, and he just keeps walking. No matter how we look at this account, which of the myriads of details we stop and examine, one thing is totally and completely and absolutely clear. Jesus keeps walking. Not passively, not being drugged along, but he has a determination. He can see the goal, and he is walking to it no matter what circumstances get in his way. He had options. He had options. I think so often of the Garden of Gethsemane when we hear this prayer that he prays and people often want to say, well, you know, could he have not done this? I suppose the question is very uh, rhetorical, but at the same time, the truth is he had options and he chose the option, which was to embrace the path before him the consequence of our sin to be cleared, and no matter what it was going to take, he was going to keep walking toward it. Yesterday, I spent time, which I thought I did not have, trying to get a glass window repaired, and I had this tiny inkling of bearing the consequence of someone else. (laughs) Do you ever feel that way? Oh my gosh, why am I doing this? I didn't do this. I didn't start this. I I don't even want to end it. And I think we're like that. We, are, we get into circumstances as mothers, as wives, as parents, as children of parents, where we are in a place where there are consequences that we are paying for someone else. Well, 2,000 years later, this ancient account stirs my soul, and the sacred message cannot be overlooked. It is my hope that the picture of how Jesus kept walking will last with you as you keep walking in this life. And today I want to stop and begin a short series on the last statements, the last words of Christ spoken from the cross. So Jesus keeps walking and now we find ourselves at the very end. And he has this opportunity once again, just as he has done his whole life here on earth, He stops and interfaces with whatever's going on at the moment. Being in the moment looks much easier than it is. And in our culture, I want you to know, I hope you hear from the depths of my heart, I think it's harder in your culture than it's been in any other culture before. There's a bell ringing, a phone beeping, a noise going on, not, not to mention the relational noises that we carry around in our head and heart from pain and joy 
and we have children and husbands and friends and family, and then we have all the pandemic issues on top of all of that. So there's a lot going on, and it's hard to take the model of Christ who stops in the middle of a traffic full of people to heal the woman with an issue of blood, who is now hanging on the cross, about to give his life, and he stops. And in Luke chapter 23, starting with verse 33, when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one in his right hand and one on his left. And Jesus said, and this is his first statement from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Messiah of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription, which they had done ahead of time. You know, nobody pulled out a magic marker and a little piece of wood that just fit perfectly. And that inscription said, This is the king of the Jews. So how... Can we see Jesus, who just keeps walking through the process? And while he's walking through the process, he is able to interface and be in the moment with the people who are around him. They are leaders of his people. There's Pilate wringing his hands again. The soldiers who have done the deed, who have whipped him as he walked and thrust the spirit into his side. They're just doing their jobs after all. So what does it mean? What is forgiveness? What went wrong? When someone says, forget it, it's nothing. What about forgiveness? Lewis Smeads says, and here we go again, looking at the words of Christ from the cross. Father, forgive them. What is forgotten indeed cannot be forgiven. Love does not say to the beloved, it doesn't matter. That's a sentimental love. What I do matters to God and to others. And I think about that sometimes when I'm being what I consider casual or cavalier. And I've been rolling around this idea of letting someone off the hook for a long time. It's Forget it. It was casual. You didn't mean it. You're forgiven. And then I say that, but then sometimes I walk away from it, and what's in my spirit is, really, she just did that? When I hurt someone, I want them to forget it, and I certainly want to be forgiven, and I'm sorry, but I don't want any punishment. Punishment is terrible. The look on your face when I hurt you, but as much as I want to get out of this mess I have created, the punishment is not as terrible as the thought that nothing will happen, that bad things don't matter, and what I did does not matter. And when I think about Jesus in this walking, in this preparation, in this moving forward, in this assessment on the cross, in pain, after what he's been through, the whole week has gone on and on and on. And I think he demonstrates that it does matter. It does matter what I just said to you. It does matter what you think about what I said. It does matter that I pause and be in the moment and that I not just flippantly say, either as the speaker 
who offended or the offended one. Oh, forget it. It doesn't matter when these things matter. We talked some weeks ago about words matter. I read once that if bad things don't matter, then neither do good things matter. And that seems very logical to me. Actually, then nothing matters and everything is up for grabs. And I think that there is some truth to that in the culture that we are in. There is less concern about how we say, what we say, where we go, what we wear, what we do, what we eat, how it affects someone else. Did God lay down some directives? This is something you should stay away from. Some things are good. Some things are evil. Hebrews tells us that we should discern good from evil. If God thought that eating from the tree of knowledge was good, would he have told Adam and Eve not to eat from it? No. The confession of wrongdoing sin is never easy. Adam, I heard you, but I was naked and hid, he says. He might have said, I did what you told me not to do. And Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. I can see that sins that are worse, and I can justify mainly to get away with accepting the punishment. But I know, and you know, when we have hurt the heart of God and the heart of others. Don't you know it? Don't you just feel it? Don't you just sense it? You just know it. And you want to recall, you want to take it back. Part of this is about vulnerability, which we're not going to talk about today. But did you ever say, I'm not sure there's enough forgiveness to go around? Of course there is. Adam pulls the card that is always present. She made me do it. If I hadn't gotten up this morning and had an argument with my husband, then I wouldn't have been cranky when I got to the office and then I said what I said. So it's really my husband's fault that I said what I said. Now, that's complicated, and I've given a lot of words to it. But in fact... We blame anyone, anywhere, just as long as I don't have to face it. Have you ever said, I need to come to my senses, I need to find myself, I need to recognize that all sin matters, that there are not large sins and small sins, to belittle our sins and to say, ah, it doesn't matter. Look, he didn't mind it. I mean, that tirade that she gave about the course of the pandemic and the use of that language, it doesn't really matter. She's in a hard space right now. No, it does really matter. And justice requires the gradation of guilt. But Hearts Tell Jesus um, reminds us to look To look, he tells us regularly, to look at things for what it is. To look with lust is like adultery. They got away with it. A small child tells his mom, where would I have been on the final week? Denying, hiding, running, excusing, working, keeping busy. Where would I be on this week with Jesus on the cross? And you know the disciples scattered. John was the only one who stood with Mary the beloved mother of Jesus, and Mary, the one who had been saved, and John the beloved. Where are the rest of the disciples? I don't know where I would have been. With a jeering crowd? I mean, they're crucifying Jesus, who's been my friend, who's been my leader, who's been my partner to eat with and sleep with and touch and heal and walk and continue on this road. He did tell me this was going to happen, but 
I'm not really ready for it. What would I have done? There's a jeering crowd, and people are wondering and looking. My father used to call the looky-loos in the city of Chicago where I grew up. The fire engines would start, and people would run out the door. They would run out the door. Some of them get in their car and watch where the fire engine was going. And if it was in your neighborhood, people would congregate. I think standing alone in that courtyard on that day would have been hard. Standing Standing with Jesus was hard. Standing with Jesus proves to be too hard. And some of the disciples, especially Peter, deny that they even know him. The psalmist tells us that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Do we sin and know it? I think we do. I think we do. That is what Jesus is forgiving. Forgive them, for they do not know what they do. They do not know what they are doing. They do not know. Forgive them. Forgive them. The prodigal son comes to his senses. He takes responsibility, and he did something about it. It's my prayer that on this last week, um, last few weeks before the time of Holy Week and the crucifixion, Good Friday, and Easter morn, the resurrection, that you will be like Jesus. Keep walking toward him. Keep coming to your senses and understanding that what you say and what you do matters. And I pray that you will pause as Christ paused in the moment, in the moment when all of these staggering things were happening to him and say aloud, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And in the sense they knew what they were doing, it was a job, but they didn't understand the magnitude of it. And I think that's an important thing for us to be conscious of. His richness forgiveness to me is staggering. When I do, did, and will do things that I don't mean to do, he continues to offer forgiveness. I want to be a person who receives that forgiveness, and I want to be a person who gives that forgiveness to people who are in my world and in my life doing things they don't mean to do, but are doing them anyway. Jesus kept walking. From Nazareth to Jerusalem, through the hardest week of his life, to the cross. And the first statement he makes when looking around is, Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. I'm so grateful to be with you. I'm Donna Otto. This is Modern Homemakers. This is a treasured time of the life of the church. And I pray that you are a member of the Church of Christ. And I pray that if you're not going to a church, and there are some churches that are now opening in your neighborhoods because the pandemic is loosening a bit and keeping the standards that we're called to, I pray that you'll find a church, a community of people to walk together with. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of walking in forgiveness.